You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, Bengals fans? The NFL draft is in the books. The Bengals have 10 new players on their roster, and we have a lot to talk about on this program based on all of those, all of those rookies being added to the Bengals roster. But it was a busy weekend, not only for this show, but on CincyJungle.com. I'm still recovering a little bit. I know my co-host, who is far busier than I, is also in recovery mode. John, happy Cinco de Mayo, buddy. How you doing? Happy Cinco de Mayo to you as well. Quick shout out to my uncle Jeff. His last name is May, and he was born on Cinco de Mayo. So this is a nice day for him and, and his family. So happy birthday, Jeff. Yeah, happy birthday, Jeff. That's that's uh, quite appropriate for uh, with May, Cinco de Mayo. I like it. I like it. It's May Day. May Day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, look, we, we've got a lot to get to. We are going to try and keep it a little bit of a compact show, just given the fact that you guys might be sick of us. We took the air, God, I don't know, four times, five times over the weekend. Hopefully you aren't sick of us. And hopefully you enjoyed the coverage from the show. And like I said, on CincyJungle.com, there has been a slew of stuff on that website. So kudos to Jason Markham, my co-host, John Sheeran, and many others who have done some excellent, excellent work throughout the weekend. Let's recap it. I did this on Monday, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but let's just, in case that rock some folks may have been living under uh, hasn't let you out to see what the Bengals have done in the 2021 NFL draft. Here are their picks. They went with Jamar Chase as I guess mostly expected by most folks as the weeks wore on went with Jamar Chase at pick number five, moved back in the second round, collected two fourth round picks to take Jackson Carmen later in the round, some other talented offensive linemen that we have talked about on the show and others have talked about on the show went ahead of Carmen, but the Bengals appeared to have been locked in on him and were able to get a couple of picks. Joseph Osai in round three, Cam Sample in round four, Tyler Shelvin in uh, also in round four, 122, round four, 139, Deontay Smith, uh, 149, Evan McPherson, Trey Hill in round six. Uh, the second six-round pick uh, was Chris Evans. The Bengals got one of those in the Ryan Finley trade. And then uh, Wyatt Hubert uh, was the final pick for the Cincinnati Bengals there. So that's what the class looks like. We're going to get into some reactions there, but I guess before we get to listing out the UDFAs, any any initial kind of thoughts to kick us off, John? Uh, I want to give you your chance to sound off here. I think the direction was predictable. 
there's seven trench players. There's a kicker. There's Jamar Chase, and there's a Geo replacement in Chris Evans. The names of those trench players were the only real surprise, and maybe the order of which some of them were picked. I think we all kind of expected that first pass rusher to come at round round three, and then you know following up with the, with a defensive tackle, and then following up with offensive line depth. We didn't really expect Carmen until that day of Friday when a, a couple of us kind of got that info a little bit early, and then we kind of prepared people for when it was going to happen because you're right, they were kind of locked in on him. They, they did their due diligence on him using their resources and Willie Anderson, Paul Alexander, Cincinnati kid, like just fits a lot of their thresholds and qualifications for what they deem to be premium picket offensive line. And then they followed it up with Deontay Smith, Trey Hill. Not a lot of mock drafts had them listed, but I think there's some upside both of those guys. And then mm-hmm. Tyler Shelvin. I mean, I think we all expected more of a pass rushing defensive tackle, but LSU guy, best friends of Jamar Chase lifted Joe Burrow on his shoulders after one of those signature wins in the 2019 season. And then Cam Sample, who I think is a very quality player, picked right around where he should have been. And I guess that is more or less the solution to not really selecting a true three-technique defensive tackle. They're going to bump him up to about 280, 285 pounds. That's where I think he's going to play most of his picks or snaps, excuse me. But Anthony, I think the key to this draft, because I think we all kind of have a consensus grade of of about a B to B-plus in that range. But I think the key to this draft, and I want to expand on this, is Deontay Smith. Because it, I think they're expecting Carmen to hit. They're expecting him to be a decent to solid guard. They're expecting Osai to be just a pass rushing specialist that can give them some type of burst outside of Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson. They're expecting Jamar Chase to be a number one receiver. That That's the expectations. You should expect your first three picks in the first two rounds to be quality players. If they can get Deontay Smith up to about 310 pounds and he can maintain and carry that weight, and then 2022 and in 2023, if he can become a decent starting tackle under Frank Pollock, I think that does take this draft to a good to decent outlook to a great outlook. Because if you find a starting offensive lineman in the fourth round with that type of body type and frame that Deontay Smith has, it has the the potential to give you something that you probably weren't expecting at that part of the draft. The offensive linemen really, really intrigue me, not only because the, you know, there's there's some medical flags with two of them, uh, but they, they also have quite a bit of upside here. Now I'm looking at, uh, John, you know me, um, I'm looking at Kentley Platt at Deontay Smith. There are some things about him that are okay and great here. I guess I could share this with everybody in terms of the relative athletic score. Nothing that jumps out on the page, but he does – jumps out on the page in terms of those metrics, I should say. But he does – when you look at the tape, he does seem to be a very athletic guy, a guy who can move well and a developmental type of player. You can see here the six one seven. Uh, he does have the 35, 35.25 inch arm length. And then, uh, you know, the size is a little questionable, like John mentioned there. So there's some, there's some questions here, but I think there's a lot of uh, potential development and a lot of talent to mine there that I think should be, should be noted. And when you look at things on tape, you know, he's, he is athletic. Uh, he, to me, he looked more athletic than what that profile says. But, um, you know, a guy that was at the, the Senior Bowl and just, you know, did some good things but needs some more work. Now, the Bengals have drafted a couple of offensive linemen, namely in the, in the Marvin Lewis era that kind of come to mind in the, 
in the fourth round that um, I believe Stacey Andrews was a fourth round pick. And then you go, you've got Anthony Collins, a guy who I always thought was pretty good, never got truly a, a long-term fair shot to start. You know, if this guy can, and Collins was a guy who was known as a, as a really athletic guy, could play multiple tackle spots and, and they even tried him out of guard. If this guy kind of gets to that Collins plus level and, and becomes a starting starting player for this. I think that's a win because the plan seems to be all along. Like you said, Carmen at guard, maybe you were able to develop Deontay Smith as a starting right tackle because of that athletic profile. You've got Jonah Williams and there you go. You're off to the races there. So, um, you know, like you said, the, tr- the trenches were addressed. We knew they were going to be doing to, to do that. They wanted to, Get past catchers. They got basically two of them, in Jam- the best one in Jamar Chase and then another one in Evans. They wanted defensive line help. Would they get four of those? And then, of course, they've got they got three offensive linemen. You know, so basically nine of the ten picks really went to major three major areas of need for the for the team going into this draft. And you know, you didn't feel like there was a ton of reaches, at least not in my book. Before we get into more analysis, John, and um, I, I want to trust me, we're going to get into a lot of it. But let's just remind everybody quickly as to where we're at with the undrafted free agents. Some intriguing names here, namely a running back out of Kansas, Puka Williams, who may be able to give you some special teams ability as well, but a a very athletic and productive player. You've got the punter, Drew Chrisman. Some people are wondering potentially what's going on with the future of Kevin Huber. Um, And then you've got Ball State cornerback Antonio Phillips, TCU tight end, Pro Wells, awesome name there. Marshall Thundering Herd defensive end, Darius Hodge. And then South Carolina quarterback Colin Hill, Northwestern wide receiver Riley Lees. And Lees comes with uh, some some decent reports on him and his background. Yeah, so there are a couple names here that stand out to me in terms of who they were in college and where they were graded. So Antonio Phillips, the cornerback out of Ball State, he did not test at whatever pro, pro day that, that they had, but he was incredibly productive at Ball State. I think he had like 26 passes defensed. And he was above average in terms of uh, market share um, production data. I think he was graded as a six-round player by both Dane Brugler and Pro Football Focus. So we knew they weren't going to invest in the cornerback position early or maybe at all in this draft. So he has a chance, I think, to compete at the bottom half of that cornerback depth chart. Darius Hodge, unfortunately an edge player. So, I mean, there's that, that position group is incredibly crowded right now. But very athletic coming out of Marshall. Also very productive. Also carried a draftable grade. If he was like another position, I would peg him as a sleeper to make the roster, but it's going to be tough to really break into that position. I know people really like Puka. There's a couple things that I want to mention with him. For starters, he's exactly my size. He's 5'9", 175. That's not a running back. That's a gadget player. He's mm-hmm. he's he's probably going to be a slot receiver, and that's fine because they don't have a backup slot receiver right now. They let Alex Erickson go to Houston. They didn't draft a receiver outside of Jamar Chase that position's open, that gives him an opportunity, along with Chris Evans, who also has receiving history out of Michigan. He was one of their six-round picks. So that's an interesting role for him. Also, I wonder if he was undrafted, not because of his size, but also he has somewhat of an unfortunate past. He got into uh, a domestic battery charge back in December of 2018 with his girlfriend. That was a year-long whole thing where he had to, you know, do, do what he needed to do and he had to stay away from his girlfriend and stuff like that. So we don't really know how that has resolved. We don't really know much about that situation. It might've been what one of the reasons why he was available for them to sign, but they obviously have history with taking on a player like this and Joe Mixon. So maybe they're confident in their ability 
to not only get to know him, but maybe they do know him and they did the research on that stuff. And maybe they feel confident with it. But I know people really like Puka, but unfortunately, like he's probably going to have to undergo a position change or he's going to have to gain a lot of weight and maybe lose some of the athleticism. The really the only, I mean, if you look at the draft class and the undrafted class, really the only kid on here who has, you know, some major character concerns. Um, Why well, I shouldn't say major. I mean, that situation, I, I, I should just kind of say that, but um, you know, that situation is going through its, its process there. But I mean, everybody else, again, there are a number of, of team captains that were selected. I think Carmen was a, was a captain as well um, on, on his team. And so, you know, you've got, a pedigree and a, a, a mold of player that, that Taylor likes in terms of personality and character. And obviously them placing an emphasis on this, they, they decided to say whatever that situation was in the, in the back um, they, they kind of said, you know, we're, we're going to move on. We're comfortable with this. And, and especially if it's at the undrafted free agent level, the risk is, is pretty minimal. It is interesting to me too, because you said the two, running backs that they took Evans and Puka are potentially guys that could be slot receivers for them. And, and so it would be, it's going to be a battle to watch in terms of who can, who can play that slot position. And if they'll latch, latch onto that, if they'll be able to do both kind of a running back Antonio Gibson type of type of role, the um, backup slot last year, was that, was that Erickson? Yeah. Behind Boyd. Yeah. So, you know, potentially you've, you've, if one of these guys works out or both of them work out in some capacity, you've got potentially a little bit higher ceiling and more athleticism there than you had with Erickson. But uh, that is where we are at in terms of the Bengals draft class, in terms of their undrafted free agents that they brought in and some of the guys that pique our attention as we look at them, we're going to talk a little bit about some, you know, maybe some favorite picks, potential fits, all kinds of different stuff in just a second. So we'll get to that and then we will uh, keep rolling on here. But before we do, John, we have to talk about, I shouldn't say have to, we get to yeah. talk about Symbol, exactly. S-I-M-B-U-L-L, our partner. And because you all have been so great with supporting them and supporting the partnership that we have with symbol that tw that $25 a share uh, is let me, let me pull that back up there. That $25 a share number that you see is I guess not very accurate. What'd you say, John, on, on draft weekend, it was in the forties, 45. Yeah. So the, the timeline of, of the Sim Bengals price has been very interesting ever since we started the partnership. It hit a high of $64.84 on April 30th. So right after Jamar Chase became a Bengal, it jumped from $43.57 the night before. It's now taking a dip to the $53 range. So it's still amongst the highest, if not the most expensive price for any Sim NFL team. But there is an opportunity to make some type of a profit here because there is a slight dip. But yeah, if you guys don't already know about Symbol, it is the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams just like stocks. It really is that simple. Every team has a symbol price attached to it, and those prices move based on you guys, the users. And when we partnered, again, when we partnered with Symbol a month ago, the Sim Bengals price has skyrocketed. And I don't know if that's because of the activity from from our listeners who are now getting in on it, 
But if you guys want to also get in on it, you can visit www.symbol.app. That's www.simbull.app backslash OBI. And you can use the promo code OBI for a $10 deposit bonus and get in on some of this action because the prices are going up and we want you guys to make money in the process. Absolutely. It is a, if you like to play the stock market, um, if you're, if you're a wall street guru, you're a self-proclaimed wall street guru and you like fantasy football, you like football, you like the Cincinnati Bengals. This is right in your wheelhouse. It's a way to make money and it's a way to potentially make money off of the Cincinnati Bengals. And hopefully based on what they did this past weekend, hopefully that price continues to soar. If you bought low or you buy now and that they start winning some games, they maybe get to the playoffs. All of a sudden, you're making some money on your favorite football team. Use that promo code OBI to get a $10 deposit bonus when you sign up. Again, S-I-M-B-U-L-L. The website is in all the live chats, so check that out. Let's transition to the, the players and where we see these guys fitting, who were some of the best picks. Uh, let's let's start with... with your best picks of the weekend. I know there were there were 10, so you can kind of make a case for quite a few, if not all of these guys. But who were, I don't know, your top two, top three kind of picks in the class where you kind of say, I, I really liked what they did there? I think the conversation starts, I mean, you can't start with Chase, even though it was the expected pick and it, it made all the sense in the world. But everyone's, I guess, favorite pick has been Joseph Asai in terms of, you know, where they were in the draft and who was on the board and consensus-wise, Asai was a second-round player, a guy who could have even sneaked into the first round. But there's no negatives in terms of his profile as to why he can't be a really successful professional player. I, like if you buy into the market share and the density-based, um, the, the density-relative athleticism data, like guys who are that athletic and that productive at that age, he's just 21 years old. He dominated in Texas's defense being tested extremely explosive and fast like those guys tend to be really good if they're drafted at a certain point in the draft like I think the 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 comparisons that were that were thrown out there like Justin Houston very productive very athletic drafted at the top of the third round even before the draft Pete Smith who writes for the Browns he compared him data wise to TJ Watt now these are really high comps and these are really high ceilings for a side to potentially hit it's important to note that he's not there yet. He's 21 again. Last year at Texas was his first year as a true edge player. He played off-ball linebacker for the most part. And right now, a lot of what he does is just based off of just that athleticism and having one of the best motors that you will ever see from a, de- from a defensive player. And that absolutely helps. But I think people see the number 58. He's number 58 now as a Bengal. And they see him as a pass rushing specialist. And people immediately point to Carl Lawson. Carl Lawson had like 10 sacks as a rookie because he came into the NFL out of Auburn as an NFL-ready pass rusher with a, a plan of attack with his hands, and he could have moves that he could just pull from his arsenal. Osai is not there yet, but he can be there under the right coach in Marion Hobby with more experience on the edge. I think he has the potential to be something really special, and I want to go back to Deontay Smith again, a guy who by Brugler, Dane Brugler's uh, grading scale was a third-round player. And he was one of the three senior bowl players that really dominated at the senior bowl that are now Bengals. Cam Sample dominated at defensive tackle at the senior mm-hmm. bowl uh, as one of the best pass rushers. Deontay Smith was right behind Dylan Redunz and Quinn Miners as one of the best pass protectors and senior bowl practices. And even Chris Evans, like that's how the Bengals really 
that that's how he caught their eye because he consistently was winning these one-on-one matchups as a receiver. So Osai, Smith, and Evans, I think, are the three best picks in terms of value for where they were in the draft. Hard to disagree with you. I really was intrigued with the Evans pick. I liked Deontay Smith. I when they made that pick, I said, "Oh yeah, I I, I do remember kind of studying up a little bit on on that kid." So uh, hard to hard to disagree. I really liked Osai. Really liked Sample. Uh, you know, I I think we can say you know Chase. We number five pick. We really like that. We kind of expected that one. Carmen, I like for the for the fact that the Bengals apparently targeted him. We're talking about taking him in their original draft position that they held in the second round, but they moved back and they got two extra picks, parlaying them into some talented players in the fourth round. So, you know, he may not have been everybody's cup of tea and may not have been the name that everybody wanted and have had probably not the guy that they mocked to the Bengals in the second round and all the PFN mock drafts, the PFF mock drafts that they did throughout the spring. But the Bengals liked him. The Bengals wanted him. They were able to move back, still get him, and get two picks for that. It's kind of to a a different degree. It's kind of what they did with Joe Mixon. They knew Joe Mixon was going to be off a lot of teams' draft boards when they – had the opportunity to get him, but you know, as he was maybe getting closer to round three, teams were, were going to spring for him. The Bengals moved back in that draft, still got Joe Mixon, and you know, parlayed that into into picks too. So, uh, you know, it's kind of that. It's it's not so much. Uh, I'm seeing more on Jackson Carmen, and I'm, the more I'm seeing, the more I like, especially at guard. But it's more the maneuvering. And if, if that was the guy they truly wanted in the second round, the fact that they were able to get him and get a couple of picks impressed me. And I know this isn't an in vogue position in the NFL these days. And I know that the Bengals invested heavily last off season in a, in a defensive interior defensive lineman, but I'm really starting to come around on the Tyler Shelvin pick. Uh, I, I, and for, for the reasons of being effective in uh, against their AFC North teams, Tyler Shelvin, if you look at our, our good buddy, Bengals Sons, his Twitter account, he's been putting up some great clips of Jackson Carmen and uh, Tyler Shelvin over the past couple of days. There are some, some clips of Clemson trying to block Tyler Shelvin, including a couple of chip-ins with, with Carmen on Tyler Shelvin and, it's not effective. He is just too big, too strong, and too good. Now, he's going to always be, and I hope I eat my hat on this, but he is always going to be a limited player at the NFL level in terms of amount of snaps, downs he plays, all that kind of stuff. But the Browns run the football down your throat, and they set up play action. The Ravens do a lot of the same thing, and they've got an athletic quarterback. Having having a guy that can plug up the middle and and eat up blockers, that's that's valuable. The Steelers want to get back to ground and pound with Najee Harris. I, I think this is just an effective player within the division. Again, maybe only a one, maybe two down player if you're lucky. But I still, the more I look at that, I go, this, this is, this could be a really effective and good find. And it's just a mammoth of a guy, just an absolute mammoth of a guy. I, I like that pick. I like that pick. The more I step back and look at it, I think we are. Again, we were a little bit surprised that they went for a, a true nose instead of a pass rushing defensive tackle. But it does it makes sense from this perspective. They don't really have a long term backup to DJ Reader right now. Like they have Renell Wren, they have Josh Tupo, but 
obviously neither of those guys played last year. Yeah. Tupo is in the last year of a very expendable contract. And this is a new defensive line coach that, you know, isn't familiar with Renell Wren anyways. So the Shelvin pick was surprising, but then you look back on it and you can go back to some mock drafts before the 2020 season before Shelvin opted out. And he was projected as like a second round player because he had, he was a part of that national championship team at LSU and the highlights do speak for themselves. The guy is just, I think PFF compared him to Terrence, Terrace Knighton, the, the former Bronco nose tackle. And I think that He's makes a lot good. of sense. Yeah. And like the fourth round, I think that's the exact pick that Andrew Billings was. The yep. thing is like Billings and we can even go back to Domatop Pecco. Those guys had a little bit more range to their games. And, you know, people just look at nose tackles and think, put him here. He's not going to move. <laughs> guys are going to run right at him, right? Well, it's not always that way. Like, and that's why I think Shelvin right now might just be more of a goal line player, just to clog up the middle because he's not going to really chase down ball carriers and not really going to leave his gap. So when you, when you call, when you say that he's limited, I think that's what I think of because he's not going to have that range that the really good, that the really good nose tackles have. And going back to Carmen real quick, I'm really glad that you brought up the Joe Mixon trade because I think some people initially equated this to the Drew Sample trade. And I didn't think that was fair at all for Carmen because Drew Sample at the time was like a consensus day three pick. He was projected to go in the fourth or fifth round. Carmen, by most accounts, was a fringe second, early third round player. Yeah. I think on the on the consensus big board, he was 73rd overall. So he belonged in that bucket, if you will, of players who were left on the board, along with Samuel Cosme, along with Redunds, along with Wyatt Davis. I know a lot of our listeners, a lot of Bengals fans in general, would have liked any of those three players over Carmen just because we didn't really talk about him because we expected the Bengals... To be, to be drafting someone else in the second round. We expected him to go in the third. But if they were dead set on taking him at 38, just like they would have been comfortable taking Mixon at the top of the second round four years ago, and they traded back knowing that you know he was probably still going to be there and accumulate two extra picks, I think that's perfectly fine. I think the Mixon comparison makes a lot more sense than the sample pick. And I think we need to to not group Carmen in with that because he's a much talented player. He's a much better prospect than Sample was when he was coming out. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. What, which, which of these guys do you think could? I don't know. If, I guess surprise is one way to put it. But when, who do you who do you think could mature the fastest? Who do you think could come out? I mean, I think we the consensus pick would say, well, Chase is probably going to be the most productive out of the gate based on the role projected for him. But I mean, who are some of these guys that you think? you know, oh, third round pick, fourth round pick, sixth round pick. This guy's kind of catching me by surprise in terms of what he's able to do right away. Um, I, I think Osai stands out just because, like, Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, they're, they're athletic. I don't want to not give them credit for that, but Osai is like nothing they have right now. Like, I, people remember Jordan Willis when he tested at the Combine. You're thinking – this guy is not a four or five player. Like this guy is not a six, six, seven, three cone type player. Like that's, that's fake. That was not who he was at Kansas state. And that's what he proved to be with the Bengals. Osai is every bit of athletic as he tested at Texas this pro day. And that's unlike anything that they have right now, at defensive line. And that's what they sorely need. And because of that, he's going to get those snaps immediately. And again, it may be difficult for him going up against NFL offensive tackles who are just so much more refined with their hand usage and it's going to take a little bit. It's going to take a minute for Osai to process a plan because, again, he's really only a one-year edge player. 
But like that athleticism, it, it's it's no joke, and it's definitely got value in the NFL. And, and he already immediately has value along with Cam Sample, who is going to be just shooting B gaps on passing situations at defensive tackle. So those two guys, they're going to have immediate opportunities because even after free agency, when they signed Hendrickson and Ogan Joby, they made it a priority to fill out the depth, get athleticism, get explosion. Those guys are going to have opportunities to prove their worth immediately. I'm. I don't disagree with you. I'm going to go a little bit with uh, one of our listeners here, Royal Flush Terry, saying Cam Sample will be the shocker of the bunch. I, I think there is a a little bit of a potential learning curve for Sample be playing at Tulane, but like you mentioned at the Senior Bowl, he was flashing against high-end talent at, at that event. He's got some good get-off off of the edge. If he adds that bulk, you could also potentially kick him in on obvious passing downs, move them around the line a little bit and uh, get some pressure from the interior. And and while you still have some of your better other edge rushers, maybe an Osai on the field at the same time. So I I like, I like the versatility, especially if the Bengals are going to potentially add a little bulk, like you mentioned to him and, and maybe have him be a movable piece along the offensive line. Again, maybe more of a niche guy initially, but I think a guy where you come in and you say, Hey, you know, if this guy can get, a good amount of pressures and maybe four or five, six sacks as a rookie, you know, moving around the line, doing some things, just kind of being a, a solid role player out of a fourth round pick right away. That's, that's a, especially with the depth that they, they accumulated on the defensive line and free agency in the draft. That's, that's a win for me. And I, I just like that profile. I know you had mentioned there's maybe some uh, with both guys, maybe a little bit of Carl Lawson type of comparisons with both, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, Got high hopes for Sample. There might be a little bit of a learning curve initially because he played at Tulane and not maybe an SEC school, but I, I like what I see out of him, and I, I hope the Bengals have a good plan in terms of maybe moving him around a little bit because I think he can be effective that way. And I think that is the plan. Like He's listed as the defensive end, but I think Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com, like he's already listing him at 280, and he tested at 267 at Tulane's Pro Day, so I think he's already at the point where he's bulked up enough where he's going to play the majority of his snaps inside. And again, you can go back and watch that senior bowl tape when he was just mauling guys in practice. He won the senior bowl, like standout award for, for whatever team he was on, on, on the defensive line. So I think th- they are going to utilize these guys to where they belong. And the same goes with Carmen too. college left tackle definitely plays more like, and has the body type of a guard. So that that's, really all part of the post-draft analysis, you know, like at the time when these guys are the picks, you're thinking, okay, how does this guy really fit based off what he was in college? But if you, if you implement the right plan, if you have the right plan for these guys, you can maximize whatever potential that they have. I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball from our, our show prep. If, if you don't mind, just kind of adding in a, another topic of conversation amongst these picks. And this is from Ethan underscore Zoe on Twitter. I, I, what I want to spin this, he writes, by the way, Carmen is only 21 improved each year at Clemson. A lot of those other guys in his range are 23 plus. I want to get a little bit into what we liked and didn't like in terms of overall profiles that we've been talking about on some of, on some of these players. So what I mean by that, John, just off the top of my head, some of the things that, again, they, they targeted some players who had been captains. Some of these guys, we talked about this on the post game show, the five-star recruits coming out of high school, whether or not they fully lived up 
to that or not. They, they had a couple of those. Some of these guys are on the younger end of the spectrum that have higher athletic scores. So they think that they can develop that. The one thing though, that really sticks out to me as a, as a negative is some of these medicals um, for, for some of these taking a chance on some of these players with some medical issues. We know the Bengals medical staff has had some issues in the past in terms of diagnosing and treating and all that kind of stuff, uh, identifying issues. The other thing, you know, we're still quite a bit in the, in the COVID pandemic era where, you know, it's not as hands-on as it, as it used to be with, with a lot of these prospects and players. So, you know, I, I worry about that. You've got Trey Hill who had knee issues, I think on both knees, right? Yeah. Um, Carmen had the back back issue. You had a little bit of a, it's not an injury situation, but you had a, an academic situation with, with Evans. So that worries me a little bit uh, along with, you know, I mean, we, we understand why, but the opt-outs and players not playing last year, so maybe some limited film, that sort of thing. When you're taking chances, the medical stuff, when you're maybe taking a little bit of chances on that, that bothered me a little bit. In terms of the profile, though, that's kind of what I gathered and what I liked and didn't like of, of the group that they brought in. Yeah, so Carmen, his whole thing was that he played the end of the 2020 season with a herniated disc in his back. I think it was five games that he played. And I don't know a lot about that. I just know I just heard that it was really painful. So he yeah, got that surgically <laughs> he got that surgically repaired in January. And I guess that's why he didn't test at Clemson's Pro Day. But I, I think just having that operation just to make sure that it gets out of the way. I think that is a positive and it's not something that they necessarily need to worry about going forward. You want to talk about academic issues. I like people don't know this really, but Tyler Shelvin out of LSU, um, he had trouble in high school, like passing classes and, mm. and he, he couldn't play his freshman year at LSU because he was on, under academic suspension. And then in 2018, he couldn't get his weight under, under control. So he was suspended for like half the year to get that under control. So he's gone through his own sense of adversity just to mm. get right both on and off the field. And now I think he's at a point where he's going to be entering a situation where he's surrounded by former friends and teammates and Burrow and Moss and, and Chase. So he's, I, I guess we're now in a, in a really good situation. And there was also that video of like right after he was drafted and his mom was right next to him yeah. and he was FaceTiming Jamar Chase. That that was the, that was the coolest thing to be like, because Jackson Carmen, like he he's from Cincinnati. Right. And his whole family went, went crazy. But Tyler Shelvin has no connection with Cincinnati. He's the, he was the number one recruit out of Louisiana a couple years ago. I don't, I don't know if anyone in his family has ever even been to Ohio. And just to see his mom be so excited for him to be reunited mm-hmm. with his teammates in Cincinnati, that, that's cool. And you don't see that twice in one draft, to see players and their families genuinely excited to go to the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think that that has a lot to do with, with obviously, Burrow and, and Chase and getting that reunion back together. And then one more thing with Chris Evans. He was accused of plagiarism in 2019, and he was kicked out of school. And, you know, when you're a a Michigan running back, 23, 22 years old, you're thinking, like, this this sucks. This is it, I guess. Like, I'm not I'm not going to be a football player anymore. But when when he was suspended, he worked three jobs, including yeah. as, like, a carpenter, a dishwasher, and a special teams coach, which might put him in favor of Darren Simmons now. <laughs> yeah. He was reinstated back in 2020. And then I think there was a new offensive coach in Michigan that didn't really feature him, so he only touched the ball 16 times. So I think – while that is on his record, I think the Bengals like how he handled that whole situation. And now they're thinking this guy is 24 years old. He's a top tier athlete. He's only touched the ball 369 times in five years in Michigan. He's got a lot of, he's 
doesn't have a lot of tread on those tires. So I think that's why he made perfect sense as that six round pick. Yeah. What about the, the, just the overall profile of, of these guys? I mean, am I, my talking logically here in terms of some of the things that I noticed with the class and in, in, in their profile and background, I know you explained some of these things, but um, are you worried about the medical stuff with some of these guys or, you know, some people are saying, well, it wasn't catastrophic medical injuries. Still, we've seen stuff with the Bengals and injuries to high profile players that didn't always end well. That just always gives me personal pause. Right. And I think I think the one to really look out for is Trey Hill. And we haven't really mentioned him that much because we don't really expect him to make the team this year. But having meniscus issues on both knees like that's that's not nothing. And it would be something to monitor going forward. Also, like I, I think for me, it's not it's not injuries necessarily. It's just overall weight. Jackson Carmen came to Clemson at 375 pounds and he got down to 330 to play in and then he tested at 317. So he's done a lot of work to keep some of that bad weight off of him. And I think that's really impressive for someone who was 20, 21 years old. Deontay Smith played at about 280 pounds this year because he was quarantined three times before the 2020 season. He didn't get COVID once, but he wasn't allowed in the weight room. He wasn't allowed in the dining hall. And then he ultimately opted out because, like, I'm not playing at 280. Then he bulked up to, like, 295 for the Senior yeah. Bowl. He bulked up to 305 for his pro day. So he's done a lot of work to fill out that frame. And obviously with Shelvin, he was 350 now. He was, like, close to 400, I think, when he first got to LSU. So that's honestly something that I think is worth monitoring, how these guys manage NFL life now and how they manage to, you know, stay conditioned because all three of those guys, they're going to be counted on pretty early in their careers. It's a fantastic point about the weight situation. Let's transition to the undrafted free agents while we're talking about all these guys. Who's got the best shot to make the active roster and and get some playing time of that list that we we showed you earlier? I guess I could pull that back up. Uh, in your estimation, John, who who has a fair shot really to get we, – we did this game last year, and I think I picked Mitchell Wilcox, who I, I don't even mm-hmm. think he sniffed the roster. Um, <laughs> but what, what do you think? Um, I, Pro Wells, the tight end at TCU, is interesting. Um, you you kind of think that they have their three tight ends and Uzoma, Sample, Joe Burrow's best, best friend, Thaddeus Moss. But, you know, just like last year, right? Like he's a tight end. They don't have a lot of depth there. So it's possible that he makes some noise in training game. I believe he was a former basketball player. So he's got some hops to him. Riley Lees, just as, again, same situation with Puka. He can make it, make some noise as one of those guys behind Boyd in the offense, just, you know, see what he can do in training camp. I think he has some return experience as well. That's another thing too. Like they didn't really draft anyone to replace Erickson as a returner. I think they might just be relying on Darius Phillips to, to do that now that Phillips isn't being counted on as a starter. But I mean, Puka was definitely the most productive of these guys. And I, I think there should be a transition now for him to become an Andrew Hawkins type player. And if he shows out in preseason training camp, I think there could be a roster spot for him. What do you make of Drew Chrisman, the punter out of Ohio State? Mm. Uh, you know, there was a little bit. I, I remember when we were talking about, um, you know, when we, we would come on here during free agency and people were like, well, what, what's going on with Huber? Why isn't he signed yet? Why isn't he? Remember, remember people would ask us about yeah. that. Then he signed and, they were, okay, we've got our punter. Um, I, I tend to think still that it's Huber's job 
and I don't because I know Simmons really likes him, and Huber's been a good punter for the Bengals. But I, I since Simmons not only like likes him, but I I think also it would be a, a pretty big shakeup to kind of this. I call it like the little special teams battery where you've got your long snapper, your kicker, and your your punter where you know you're holding, you're snapping the whole deal. If you replace your kicker and your punter in the same offseason, you may have kind of a, a huge special team shakeup. I don't know that they want to just jolt it that much right now, but this this Chrisman kid's pretty good, kicked at a big school, and there was, you know, not high, high urgency to re-sign Kevin Huber. I don't know. Am I just reading too far into this? I think it's possible that he sticks on as a practice squad guy because Huber's only under contract for one more year. And we, I mean, we, don't, we want to talk about the Bengals being traditionalists, right? And how they always seem to have some type of a um, what's the word I'm looking for, like uh, su- succession plan in, in place. Kevin Huber was born and raised in Cincinnati. He went to a Greater Catholic League high school in LaSalle, and then he went to the University of Cincinnati. Became the Bengals punter as a rookie. Drew Chrisman, born and raised in Cincinnati, went to a. I'm sorry. Kevin Huber went to McNichols. McNichols, I think, is the name. I don't know. I don't know the school that well. Chrisman went to LaSalle. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry if I offended yeah. any Cincinnati natives here. Chrisman went to Ohio State. Again, Ohio College. There's similarities there, I guess. And I don't. I like. Like you said, I don't. I don't see um, him beating Huber out this year. I think they just they want to keep that chemistry with Clark Harris as the long snapper. There's no reason to met the medal with that. There's no reason to re-sign Huber just so he can lose out to some undrafted guy. But if they have a practice squad opening available, I think Chrisman may stick on and he becomes the Huber replacement 2022. I think we're seeing the, the, the slow, it, maybe it's slow, maybe it's sudden, but it, it, we're starting to see a, an upheaval in the special teams group. You know, you've got McPherson coming in and by all indications and Simmons even said that McPherson's going to be the, the opening day kicker at this point, you've got Clark Harris. Uh, the, the name escapes me, the backup long snapper that they've uh, Godsell. Godsell. Yes. Thank you. Um, that they signed a, a pretty lucrative undrafted free agent contract or, you know, a, a futures contract too. And then, you know, now you've got Chrisman here. Um, I, I, again, I don't, I don't foresee Harris and or Huber being gone here, but I think it's just something to kind of keep in the periphery and say, you know, maybe like you said, in 22, we could see a completely different little battery unit there of long snapper punter and kicker going forward. Hopefully McPherson works out. It looks like he's, as advertised that kid's got a leg so but i just i saw that and i think a lot of people are like hmm what is this what does this mean what else do we want to get to beside i think we're going to do a little bit of state your a quasi state your case with some roster projections and things of that nature but uh what else do you want to break down before we get to that john in terms of the udfas and or the picks that we talked about I guess this kind of needs to be mentioned because we haven't really talked about it. It hasn't been mentioned at all, but it's kind of shocking when you consider this the Bengals. They didn't draft, and at this point, they haven't signed a linebacker. Hmm. I don't know I don't know the last year that this has happened. I really don't. Like After drafting three linebackers last year, signing Josh Bynes, not bringing Bynes back, just bringing Jordan Evans back, but rolling with Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, 
Akeem Davis Gaither, who apparently looks yoked right now. He's been training a lot in the office, yeah. and I believe he works out with uh, Drew Sample and maybe Joe Burrow as well at a local uh, gym in Cincinnati. And then Marcus Bailey, who was on the show just about this time last year. Um, they're just rolling with those guys. And Keandre Ke- Ke- Jones, who was an undrafted guy last year, but no draft picks, no college free agents at the moment. That I don't know if that's ever happened for the Bengals, and especially hasn't happened in the last 10 years. Yeah, they like to collect that position group. Maybe it tells me two things. This The Bengals like that trio of young guys that they brought in for, for the future, and they're very well, they very well could bring in a veteran here off the street, and maybe it's maybe it's a player or two they collect if, God forbid, injuries pile up or something of that nature. But uh, I, I think it, it kind of shows both those things. They're going to probably look at maybe some bargain be, uh, bargain deal type of stuff with veterans that are out there. Maybe it's a Bynes reunion or, you know, they're, they they really like the three that they got last year. They they got, what was it, five offseason acquisitions at the linebacker spot last year, if I remember correctly. I, maybe six if Evans was – was Evans a free agent last year or this year? This year. He was right? a free agent this year. Yeah. So it was five, and Calitro was a guy that ended up going, going elsewhere. So, uh, I mean, they invested heavily last year, and I think they're probably – they feel like they're pretty set on it. But that is a good point that they just really – they said, yeah, we're not going to go there this year. Yeah, and like, I think last year at this time, they had 10 on the roster, and they probably had like 87, 88 total players. Right now, if those seven college free agents become official, they only have 82 players, which almost it, it almost makes sense. Like, if you just have them any openings, you might as well just have a backup at each specialist spot, right? It doesn't hurt, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And... Evans seems to be a guy that is probably in the good graces of, of Darren Simmons as well. So that's probably a guy, you know, he, he does a lot of special team stuff and that's probably why they opted to resign him, even though he was a Marvin Lewis pick a couple of years ago. Let's get to, since we're talking linebackers and things on the roster, I guess we can queue up this little ditty that we put together in terms of state your case. So let's get to that. We'll talk some roster stuff. Where do we want to start? Do we want to do some bold predictions? You want to go group by group? You you lead us, my friend. So I've been putting a draft together on the first very meaningless roster projection. Every time I do one in May, it's like half wrong. And it always gets <laughs> hate on the comment section. Like, oh, this guy is not. Well, you're right. Yeah, he's probably not going to make the roster. We have no idea. There's four months in between there. But <laughs> just going through the positions, I, I, I think I have like 48 that I'm pretty confident are going to make the final 53. And it's really come down to like five names at a few position groups. I want to start at running back. I think it's Joe Mixon. It's his show. I think the comments made by Brian Callahan right after they drafted Chris Evans speak volumes in terms of Mixon just being in every down back for the first time in his career and being used in more ways than just as a tailback. Samaj AP Ryan's his backup. And I think they drafted Chris Evans for him to make the roster it really does come down to do they keep three because they want to use Mixon a lot more and just keep a Puka Williams on the practice squad or the, do they want to just have Puka make the team? And we also can't forget Travion Williams, Jacquez Patrick are here too. Yeah. Jacquez Patrick, interesting guy, you know, one of those big backs that is a little bit, 
I mean, he's he's just big in general. He's tall and and he's got some good weight on him. Unfortunately, I think there is a numbers game there. And I said this in in kind of my winners and losers. And by the way, on on Cincy Jungle, I I don't like to use the word losers in that because people take that term a different way than normally how we mean it. But you know, I just he didn't he this kid didn't have a preseason last year, and usually that's kind of a big audition, even if you know, even if it's playing into 2021 decisions, didn't have a preseason last year. So there's not a lot there. Samaj P Ryan, the staff really likes him and he really showed out at the end of the year. So I think you've, like you said, you've got two big backs. I think probably what's going to happen. And I guess I can scroll down here. The Bengals will probably try and maximize some roster positions. And that is why they maybe only drafted one wide receiver and let three of four, go in free agency that were that were impending free agents maybe they maximize the roster with one or both of these running backs quote unquote that they drafted that can be slot receivers and you kind of kill two roster birds with one stone by having those guys on or one of them on the active roster that way Uh, maybe they're listed as a wide receiver maybe they're listed as a running back I don't know um, don't the Bengals? They they kind of fluctuate six or seven wide receivers usually on on the active ro- or the uh, the final roster, right? I think in in the last two or three years they've kept seven at the beginning of the season. But say they go six this year, and that six is like Stanley Morgan because Darren Simmons loves him on special teams. Yeah. That gives you that gives you the chance to keep Morgan while also having an Evans or a Puka yeah. as your backup slide because you already have your backups to chase and T Higgins on the outside with odd Tate and Mike Thomas. Yep. Yep. And I, I still am intrigued by this kid, Scotty Washington out of wake forest, huge, huge frame, six, five, two, 17 um, seems to also have a little bit better speed than, I mean, very similar profile to odd and Tate in terms of size, but seems to have a little bit better speed by reports. So really interested in that kid, but yeah, I think to your point, John, with the running backs, they just may they may keep, you know, three true ones, P. Ryan, Mixon, and, and Williams, and then they kind of try and maximize roster spots. Maybe they have six wide receivers, and the seventh guy, the seventh wide receiver slash fourth running back is a Puka Williams or a Chris Evans. Where where you want to go next? I think we have to go to offensive line. Okay. Um, I think in years past, they've tried to keep nine. Um, they I've traditionally avoided 10 because I think they just want to keep backups who can play multiple spots. But I think it's going to be very similar to the defensive line where it's like they don't want to be in a position where they're just running out of bodies and they're picking up guys off the street in the middle of the season. They don't want to have to do what they did with Quinn Spain last year. And I think that's also a similar plan with the defensive line, but we'll get there in a minute. So Jonah, Xavier, Trey, Jackson, Reef. I think that is right now your projected starting five. And you can put Quinn over um, Spain or you can put Quinn over Xavier in, in that situation if you want. There's going to be a competition at left guard. Backup wise, I think Michael Jordan and Fred Johnson are probably on the hot seat right now. I, mm-hmm. I think it would be an upset if Jordan ends up making this roster because then you have Quinn Spain as like your versatile backup guard at both spots. The Kemadenji has guard versatility. That might that may be where Frank Pollock sees him long-term, even if he was drafted as a tackle last year by Jim Turner. I think they want to keep a roster spot for Deontay Smith to just have him inactive just so he can 
bulk up on pop tarts or whatever and then billy price <laughs> is your backup center right now who might even start week one so i think those are nine names and if they only keep 10 it might come down to either fred johnson or michael jordan I am, uh, this was kind of, I guess, brought to my attention a little bit. Uh, you've got Quentin Spain there, and here are some of the tackles here. I am a little bit, I'm trying to think of the right word. I'm a little bit worried, I guess, of tackle depth. And I'm worried about the tackle depth because you've got Hakeem Adenogy, who's listed on the website as a guard. You said, you know, as you mentioned, he played tackle, and maybe he's a he's a, versatile swing guy as a backup you've got fred johnson who has also started at both tackle spots for the Bengals. there's been some mixed results there he started a game at right guard against the browns in week two that was an absolute disaster so you know i you look at the depth at tackle for me john you've got riley reef who you look at look at the age column there you can't see the the top listing of the column but that's 32 years old and then you've got Jonah Williams, who has experienced quite a few significant injuries in his short career. A lot of promise there and a lot of talent there. I just, you know, if one or God forbid both those guys go down, you know, you're looking at Fred Johnson, you're looking at Hakeem Adeniji, a developmental player in Deontay Smith, or maybe you, you look at Carmen put, being pushed out at right tackle if that's what you need to do. The plan appears to be guard with him but the tag the true tackle depth which has kind of been a staple of an issue since zach taylor has got here the the depth at tackle is a little worrisome to me given who the starters are in terms of age and injury issues that they have had in the past and maybe that's why i mean jonah sorry to interrupt by they i mostly mean jonah yeah and and that may be why fred just makes it off of that alone and you know, I've always been a fan of Fred. I thought he should have had a a chance to be a starter out of the gate last year, one of the tackle spots over Bobby Hart. Um, I think, again, we go back to Frank Pollock. He is a, just a giant ball of clay for him to work with, and he's still only like 23, 24 years old. So it's not completely over for him yet to find a role as that backup swing tackle. But, yeah, like I think that's a good reason to keep five tackles. You have Williams, Adenogy, Reef Johnson Smith and again Smith you're not really expecting anything from him and we didn't mention Trey Hill because I, I think it's just unlikely he's going to make this roster in general just because of all those guys in front of him unless you're just not confident at all in Trey Hopkins coming back early so you need somewhat of a, a of a active backup for Billy Price that would be the only way I see him making him but you also still have Keaton Sutherland there as well mm-hmm. and he has center experience so um yeah so, it's tough to see Michael Jordan make this team in general because of what he did last year and for all the bodies that they added in, but it wouldn't shock me to see 10 offensive linemen make this team in week one. I'm seeing a comment here from Matt D saying, guess what? There's hardly any teams in the entire NFL that have tackle depth. That may be true, but again, I'm talking about, a right tackle they're bringing in on a rental deal who is in on the wrong side of 30 years old and a left tackle who has a lot of promise, but has missed significant amount of time in his short time in the NFL. And so that's why if you're the Bengals having tackle depth should be a more significant point of interest. Now I, I, I like Smith, but I, I just think there's development there and good weight. You know, someone made a comment about he needs to add good weight. Um, you know, I, I, 
Adenogy has some some experience based based on last year. Fred Johnson has some experience, so maybe that is a little bit better depth than I'm giving them credit for. I guess I just I, I'm a little worried about that based on how the last couple of years have played out under Zach Taylor and what's happened at tackle. Yeah, and Jeff Slaughter in the comment section, Trey Hill beats up Price. Maybe I wouldn't bet on it, but maybe I, I just think that anyone can look at Trey Hill and think. This guy's probably going to pass through waivers, and you can just stash him on the practice squad. That would be my guess. If the, especially with you know, if the knees prove to not really hold up well early on, that that could be that could be true. Any other spots on this state your case that you want to talk about with the rosters or make a bold prediction? Where you where, where you want to go next here, John? So I guess we can make a bold prediction here. Okay, one of if not both, Josh Tupo and Renell Run get cut. I think those two guys are the guys who should be worried the most right now, not just because of the addition of Tyler Shelvin, but I think they're going to carry at least five edge rushers, Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, Khalid Kareem, who a lot of people are forgetting about just because he didn't really do that much last year. Cam Sample, Joseph Asai, White Hubert. Yes, he was drafted, probably a practice squad guy. Just there's no, there's no possibility of them carrying six edges in week one. Then you have to look at how many defensive tackles you want to keep and how many different types of defensive tackles you want to keep. Mike Daniels, Larry, and Joby, they're your three techniques. They didn't really draft one aside from Sample, who's going to be that hybrid player. DJ Readers are starting two-eye nose tackle. Like, how many backups to Reader do you want to keep? Like, at this point, you're already at nine, ten names. And I think I don't think Shelvin's going to get cut. So at least one of Tupo and Ren is probably going to get the axe. And Tupo had his one-year deal restructured. So he opted out last year. He was set to make about two and a half million Mm -hmm. uh, for 2020. And then very quietly, he's now listed on over the cap as like making barely above vet vet minimum. So just above 1 million, which is hundred percent not guaranteed. So he's entirely expendable. Renell run has barely played in two years. I think one of those guys, if not both of them and end up having to look for work. Tupo. I really like Josh Tupo. I, I think I think he is at most risk uh, of the two that you mentioned there. Previous regime guy didn't play last year, but you know you you now have a guy who similar mold and in, in the position group with DJ Reader. Now you've got uh, Tyler Shelvin in the mix there, and that just may be hey, you know you were previous regime guy, you're good depth. And this is the way we're going to go. Obviously injuries and other factors are going to play a role here. The, the thing, like you said, though, Khalid Kareem kicks inside every once in a while, you've got sample that kicks inside. So they're going to try and maximize the roster here as well. But yeah, I, I think those two should not be comfortable based on what happened this weekend. And uh, I, I still have high hopes for Renell Wren, but what is it? Back-to-back seasons now with, with major injuries for him. Um, so I don't know. That's, I, I, I find it hard to disagree with you on both those guys. And I, I don't think they should be looking to cut Tupo. It, this is just kind of the route that they took. Yeah. Like they wanted a, a, a young nose tackle to groom behind reader. And I think that's, that's fine. But I think Tupo still has a lot of value and you also have to take what Taylor and the Bengals have said at face value. Like they specifically said, you know, we don't want to go through what we did last year where we just pick up Xavier Williams, Marcus Hunt off the street mm-hmm. after Tupo opts out, Ronell Run gets injured, Geno Atkins has a shoulder thing, and they just go through these these 
ghostly bodies in defensive tackle just right, run right. over by the Browns and, and everyone else that they play. So I don't think – I think they're fine now. They're at least somewhat comfortable with the amount of guys that they have at defensive tackle. But if everyone – big, big if – everyone makes it out of training camp relatively healthy, they're going to have some decisions to make there. Good point. And there, there, if there's one thing that I think that I – like the most about the draft class is I talked earlier about addressing kind of the three areas of need, pass catchers, offensive line, defensive line depth. What they've provided themselves with is not only a lot of depth, but a lot of competition and competition oftentimes is very, very good for a football team, especially a young one, one that's looking to turn the corner and one that uh, is, is under the watch of a head coach that's, Probably under a bit of pressure, especially after some of the some of the names that they've been bringing in in both the draft and free agency. Good job, John, on the state your case. Let's drop the mic and get on out of here. An hour flew by, but it's always fun talking some Bengals football and NFL draft with you, my friend. What do you have for us? So as we are recording here Wednesday night, um, there is a YouTube video that just dropped on the channel Who Daisley, which is run by Mike Martis. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Mike R. Martis. I had the pleasure of joining him to recap the draft earlier this week. So that episode is now out on the YouTube channel Who Daily. I was also on a podcast called Knee Brace Radio, which is run by two guys at Bengals fan who's active duty stationed in, Mil- in, in Maryland. Oh, wow. um, I believe his name is... Uh, I believe his name is Nick, and he does it with a friend who's a Jets fan. So I was able to, to come on their podcast and talk about the draft as well. So definitely check out those guys. Subscribe to Mike's channel at Who Daily. I think it's Who Day Ly, I guess. Um, okay. But re- really nice guy. Does really good content, and definitely check those check those things out. That's awesome, man. You are quite talented and that is why you are making the rounds on other shows and please to our listeners go check those out and support those other programs as well that is uh that's really cool man i i don't have much other than to thank you for reminding me about the schedule really i mean i knew about it but it just after the weekend you know you get you come out of that weekend a little foggy headed but we're going to be doing something a, a little special for the schedule release. We're going to tell you about that a little later, but uh, we're going to, I think it's, it comes out the day that we take the air usually. And uh, so it may still be going on by the time we're, we're talking or it may have just been released. So we're going to, we're going to talk all about that next week and much more with the Bengals as we charge to the off season, but the schedule release is coming. It's just free agency, the draft schedule release, and then training camp is going to be here before you know it. And of course, week one. So a lot to talk about and we'll be excited to see how the schedule will be playing out for the Bengals. Thanks, John, for everything, my friend. Have a have a good week. You as well, man. All right. Take it easy. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. As always, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, all your favorite audio streamers. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel. I believe it's right under John's left shoulder there you can click on that and subscribe to it and then of course be sure to subscribe to the cincy jungle podcast channel not only for our program but for matt minnick's chalk talk and orange is the new black the great podcast by ace and zim we appreciate all the support everybody we will see you soon 
Thanks. Hope you enjoyed draft weekend. We'll talk to you soon.